Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Welcome to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. All right, so uh, November 16th, 2007, boy, again, time goes fast. I showed up in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I was there for uh, four days. Um, And uh, alongside me, uh, the older man is Colonel David Hunt, who came with us as an advisor. We brought a crew from uh, America, and we had a pretty good look. Um, and it was not a great situation over there. I mean, and, and I said that to people. I said it was necessary because of the Al-Qaeda 9-11 stuff. But in the end, I mean, the casualties were 2,400 uh, U.S. personnel killed and 21,000 wounded. 21,000. And that conflict, you know, raged for 20 years. Uh, pretty much, give or take. Um, and it didn't come out our way, once again. Now, we did stifle any al-Qaeda attacks on the USA. We did that. But Afghanistan is the biggest mess in the world right now. So, uh, after seeing uh, those still pictures, I said, geez, uh, where is Hunt? Where is Colonel Hunt? We found him. He's in Scarborough, Maine. Um, and again, he, uh, we use him on the O'Reilly Factor a lot as a military expert. Uh, if you Google him, you'll see he's a war hero and knows a lot about military stuff. All right. How you doing, Colonel? I haven't talked to you in a while. You all right? I was until I got that, int- that introduction. That's got to be the worst introduction you've ever done for me in 20 years. Why? Because I, I, I said you were the older man. You are older than me. Yeah, that's that's true. That's that's very very true. Yeah. We're both- uh, that, that was a great trip. I'm I'm glad we did it. Uh, you learned a lot. I did. It was a dangerous time. Um, 
the army kept lying to you for the entire time I was there. Uh, <laughs> well, I had but, you to uh, I had you to interpret and say that no, 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 not true. We stayed at Bagram uh, Air Force Base. We interviewed the U.S. ambassador, who you would expect to lie, um, yeah. and then. We did get out, you know, talk to some of the Afghan people. That was a real dicey thing. I remember, and we'll get into the analysis of, uh, of Biden in Afghanistan in a moment, but this is an interesting story. Uh, you may remember I was pushing the special forces guards, we had guards, to let us yep. go to Kabul, to the town. I wanted to walk around the town. And, and the explanation was, you can't, they know you're here. I said, wait a minute, who's they? Because Taliban knows you're here. You can't come into town because somebody will try to wax you. And uh, that's how dangerous it was at that time over there. Yeah, I, I, you're, <laughs> yeah, I remember at least four conversations. They were not one way on this very subject. And I told you that I, there's not a chance that you're going anywhere near Kabul, that they knew you were there. There, period. It's a very, very dangerous place. We couldn't protect you with all the weapons we had with us and this special forces team, about 10 guys, because of the bomb problem. Yeah. It was a few times you haven't listened to anybody. But yeah, that was a bad, that was, you couldn't do it. There was only one hotel in Kabul um, that was possible to visit. Not, and you wanted to go, you wanted to go down into the market and talk to people. Yeah. So one bomb gets us all. So you yeah, didn't but go. we did manage to do that outside of Kabul. We went, we went to the market yeah. out there because um, yeah. I just said, look, I have to go. If they blow me up, they blow me up. I mean, nobody, with all due respect, if you got blown up, it, it wouldn't matter. But it was a big deal yeah. if I got, exactly. if I got exactly. blown up. Um, the, biggest, the biggest deal there, though, was for me, was you greeting the soul. You probably, you probably signed 1,500, 2,000 um, yeah. autographs. They stood in line for a long time. And that was a big deal. I, yeah, I well, I was happy to do it. We did the same thing in Iraq when we went there. Now, as far as the Pentagon report, I'm sure you read it. What, what's your assessment of it? Wow. Yeah, the 12, the 12 pages was as disingenuous as anything I've, ever, I've seen. And Admiral Kirby's defense was ridiculous. Um, this made the fall of Saigon look good. And that was a pretty bad time. Um, the defense is that nobody saw the collapse coming. Nobody saw the Afghan army not going to fight. Nobody saw the speed of the Taliban. The problem with that defense is nobody is the Biden administration. Regardless of what Trump did or didn't do, you've already said, though, the president of the United States owned that problem for seven months. And we were surprised at the speed of the Taliban takeover. Um, you, you, What you have is... People from the National Security Council to the Department of Defense to the national intelligence community, people had to get fired. This was, and, and, and people fell out of airplanes at 1,000 feet. 13 soldiers killed, 170 civilians. Um, it was right done on television. It's embarrassing. Should have cost the Biden administration a lot more. It cost them nothing. Uh, we still got thousands of Afghans there to help. Uh, private industry is doing that. But to blame this on anybody, let alone Trump, is disingenuous. It doesn't, you own the problem. You've been there for seven months. Yeah, he was seven months. And then anything, the preparations, anything, anything like in my opinion, the preparations for the withdrawal was so horrible. All I had to do was keep a residual force in Bagram guarding the equipment there that we had, 
okay, with air support, and you tell the Taliban, look, we're getting out of here, but we're going to do it in an orderly way. We're going to evacuate the people that want to be evacuated. We're going to keep our equipment. And if you don't like it, then we're going to send up some, uh, some air power and we'll take care of you. You know, that's how you do something like that. Um, but no, yeah. it was just, well, we got to get the hell out of there, so we're going to run. We ran is what we did. We, you had, um, yes, we, if, if you had 30 days of notice, if you just made the decision about a month out, everything you said could have been done, would have been done. Bagram is clearly the place you would be visited. It's clearly the place to run this operation. It's 60 miles away from Kabul, as you remember. Kabul is a civilian airport. We, when we finally made this decision, we put 150 guys, Marine Rifle Company in there, got overwhelmed within hours. It was, we, we just, we, it was just terrible. But it was terrible because CENTCOM didn't do their jobs. It's terrible because the intelligence community didn't do their jobs. The State Department and the National Security Council, um, period, did not, 20 years we've been fighting there. And we, we didn't realize that the Taliban had infiltrated every aspect of Afghan government for the last 10 years, which is why you have this sudden collapse. And the only thing that slowed the Taliban down was getting filled up with gas because it took them nine days to go from north to south. Yeah. It's embarrassing. It never should have happened. Horrible. It should have cost um, it, it was for the world to see. Our now, soldiers, once again, did their jobs, but the senior leadership, once again, failed. All right. So the Biden administration is telling the Americans or the world the truth about the, what happened. And now it, it ripples forward to where we are in Ukraine, uh, with providing the Ukrainian government with all the weapons that, uh, we, you know, billions of dollars worth of weapons. How, what's your assessment of that situation, Ukraine, right now? Um, it's a, obviously a proxy war. Uh, it's, it's being fought by very brave Ukrainians and us giving the Ukrainians prescient intelligence. If the tanks that we've committed actually show up, the M1A1s and, and, the, and the other ones, the Leopards, that'll change the nature of this war. They're probably still going to need air. It's, it is it is it's an embarrassing point for the Russians. And again, our intelligence community, for my 30 years, we built the Russians up to be the big, bad Russian bears. They are not. They're tactically incompetent and poorly trained and drunk. And the Ukrainians were trained by us for about 14 years. They're getting great, great help from us and fighting bravely in front of a tactically incompetent Russian military. If we get the tanks on the ground that, that can shorten this war, um, the problem is going to be if we get if we get the Ukrainians what we promised. Okay. Now, do you believe that Putin was emboldened to do this because of the Afghan weakness that America showed? Now, I know this is speculation; it's an opinion, but I want your opinion on it. I think when America fails the side the, the, the way it did in front of the world, it gives every one of our enemies applause and to say, "Hey, wait a minute, maybe these." Maybe they're not willing to do something. It certainly didn't help. As you're right, it's speculative. But the way this could have gone, the way we could have done Afghanistan, the way we know how to do it, it was embarrassing. So sure. Yeah, what, yeah it, it, it certainly didn't help um, to cause the Putin to do anything but what he did. Were you surprised that when uh, the Russians took out our drone, Biden said not one word about it? No, I wasn't surprised. Unfortunately, um, that that would that 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 kind of action um, should have 
take an immediate reaction, and it didn't. Um, it's if we're still afraid of the Russians, and it only could be the nuke issue, because tactically they've proven to be massively incompetent. Um, but yeah, it's it's yes, it was no, very. It surprised. was pretty stunning. And I don't know how I don't know how Biden's going to blame that on Trump, but somehow uh, I'm sure they'll come up with something. Um, let's go to China then. So um, China, obviously being bellicose, word of the day, um, wants uh, to take over Taiwan. Um, the only restraint is American protection of Taiwan economically because there'd be sanctions slapped. Macron undermines America today. We'll have more on this tomorrow um, by saying, well, Taiwan's not really a European problem. That wasn't very smart of Macron, but he's not a very smart man. Um, so now Biden's up against Xi, and Xi's a much tougher hombre, right? Well, Xi, the Chinese, as you know, I've always got a 100-year plan, a long-range plan, whereas us in Europe look right at, don't look past our noses. Uh, we are Taiwan's friend. Um, the, the, the Chinese are pushing hard. They're running their boats up, their planes right up to the edge, if not going over the edge. Um, China believes that Taiwan is part of China. Chinese don't believe it, neither anybody else. Um, I do not think it's such a lot of, there's some intel people that are saying it's, it's guaranteed that the Chinese are going to try to do something aggressive with Taiwan. I'm not so sure about that. I think first, and I think a confrontation with our Navy, uh, with the Chinese would not go well for the Chinese. But I don't think Biden um, would do that. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna order military action. He'll do with the economic thing. And the other thing is that the Han that controlled Taiwan, because remember yeah. China's tribal, just like many other countries, they'll fight. They're not the Afghans, and they're well armed. And there's gonna be a bloodbath there with with hundreds of thousands of casualties if China decides militarily to try to take that place over. Yeah, you're absolutely right, of course. The problem with us going to war against China is that doesn't stop at Taiwan. If you, if we were actually going to do this, we would actually have to go into at China itself. And that's a bigger, bigger problem. But you're right, the Taiwanese will not give up. They, they are not the Iraqis, they're not the Afghans. Right, um, they'll fight. But, but let, that's, that's got to be solved in a different way that, because you, you do not need China, us, Taiwan, anybody throwing missiles at each other. That's, yeah, that's got that's to be for a sure. Well, Biden's got less than two years. Uh, both Putin and Xi know um, he's a weak man, um, but they don't know what's coming next. Nobody does. Hey, Colonel, it's good to see you. Thank you for uh, helping us out. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I think I look older than you now. I, I, I've aged, you know, you stay yeah. in good shape, right? We're both hockey players. Uh, you're staying in good shape, right? Except one of us played college hockey, the other one played high school hockey. There's always been a difference. You never acknowledged. No, I, I know that, but it would have been difficult for me to play college hockey when I was playing college football. You were kicking a ball down the field. No, you didn't no, I, call was, that I was throwing a ball, too. Okay, that's <laughs> great. Good to There's see you. Hunt up in Maine, you know, and if you ever want to know what Maine is really like, you take a good look at this guy. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thank you. Did you know every day is a perfect day for peace of mind? With American Home Shield Warranty, you are covered for unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters. 
Choose a plan that fits your budget and rest easy knowing repairs and replacements are taken care of. Simply contact American Home Shield when an issue arises, and their trusted pros will handle it according to your coverage. Don't let worries about appliances and home systems weigh you down. Celebrate the reassurance of protection. Don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, visit ahs.com slash bill. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product is being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundations in the Line of Duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 Remembrance Across America, over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings and barbecues, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. So I don't want trans all day, every day. In fact, when I hear or see trans, I usually turn off the vehicle, whatever it is. All right, I don't Bruce Jenner, and, uh, you know. I just don't engage. And that's my failing as a Christian. I guess I should be more sympathetic, but I'm not. Anyway, two big companies, Nike and uh, Anheuser-Busch, have hired a person named Dylan Mulvaney. He was born a male, but now wants to be a female and has gotten facial feminization surgery. Okay. She's 26, so she's entitled to get any surgery she wants. So they hired this woman uh, who's... uh, reportedly earning more than a million dollars to do these commercials. And here's how they look, go. This month I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Check out my Instagram story to see how you can enjoy March Madness with Bud Light. Uh, all right, so uh, there's a backlash uh, against the Bud Light thing. Uh, Nike, I think people just given up. They're going to virtue signal at Nike. Um, it's Beaverton, Oregon, you know what it is. Okay, so, uh, but Anheuser-Busch was a conservative company at one time. It isn't any longer. Um, so there's a bunch of country music stars that are uh, dropping Bud Light from their 
tours, but I was a sponsor, uh, a whole bunch of backlash on the right against um, Anheuser-Busch, and I guess Nike, too. Um, I don't drink beer, so I'm not involved with this, and uh, I don't buy Nike stuff. I don't know why I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. So it doesn't affect me directly. But I wanted to know if this was a smart advertising business play. So we got a, an expert, Michael Maslansky, who's the CEO of Maslansky and Partners. Um, and he studies the advertising world and media world, joins us from New York City. So if you were the CEO of Anheuser-Busch, selling beer to a lot of conservative people who don't want, as I said, trans stuff shoved down their throats, would you have okayed this campaign? So, Bill, first of all, it's good to be here. Uh, second, I, I think the question is whether they're really shoving it down your throats. You know, the, the way that conservatives got to see these campaigns was because somebody was following Dylan Mulvaney on Instagram or other social media, and they picked it up and decided to share it on, on conservative social. Uh, she has 10 million followers. The idea of Bud Light trying to reach an audience that has, uh, through a person that has 10 million followers, is not a bad marketing strategy. And that's what they were doing, marketing through her to her fan base. Okay. But I'm going to disagree with you, even though you are much smarter in this area than I am. So Bud Light is an established brand. It has loyal customers who drink it all the time. Many of those customers don't like the trans world for religious reasons or other reasons, cultural reasons. I'll submit to you far more than 10 million are teed off at Anheuser-Busch and now going to switch over to Heineken or something else. Would I be wrong in that assertion? So I would say that uh, the history of boycotts like this by conservative groups and to a certain extent by liberal groups when they don't like the behavior of particular brands has shown that typically there's a short-term impact, but not a long-term impact. And okay. so- But I don't, I think, I'm not you know, calling for a boycott. People move on to the next, they move on to the next outrage. Right? Yeah, but like, this, so was, this is today's outrage. Here's, here's, here's why I think that analysis doesn't hold. There, boycotts are bad. It's un-American, in my opinion, of anything, unless there's direct harm coming into your house. But this one is, I don't think is a boycott as much as, hey, there's a lot of beer product on the market. So I'm going to drink another beer product because I don't like the attitude of this trans person. And I don't want my kids watching it. That's big, by the way. And yeah, you say it's on Instagram. And well, that's where the kids are. So some parents are going, you know, I don't want this in our culture. I don't want my children subjected to this. So I'm going to punish who's ever doing it by not consuming their product. Wouldn't that be a concern of Anheuser-Busch? So, again, I think it would might be a concern, but they, they also may be picking up an audience of 10 million people who when they you show would do it. that they, you would that do they relate it. to that audience, that they may pick up a lot of people. So if you were CEO, you would do You would make the decision, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have the trans I person. That I would do it. You, you also are talking about moms and kids. The kids are not beer drinkers. No, but they the, see the, moms the commercial. They may not be beer drinkers. What's that? They see the spot. They see the ads. Okay, but but you know, I mean, I, I just think I think these things get overblown, right? I mean, I think this was one post. It was not meant to be a big thing necessarily by Bud Light, except to the audience that she represents and speaks to. But they and what ends up happening it. is 
the, the media tries to make it into a big thing. Right. But you know that's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. And Anheuser-Busch certainly knows it's going to happen. They had to sit down and discuss this. They had to. Because this yes. is a big departure from the norm. Your point of view is it's worth it because they're reaching people that maybe don't know about Bud Light. My point of view is everybody knows about Bud Light and they have a loyal audience, many of whom are conservatives who don't like this presentation and they're not going to drink Bud Light. They're not going to drink it. They're going to switch. And you know as well as anybody that at some, sometimes all press is good press, right? Bud Light is not necessarily a brand that you see in the news all the time. Now you're talking about Bud Light. I'm talking about Bud yeah. Light. People who haven't heard the name Bud Light in a while, who aren't really paying attention to the controversy, all of a oh. sudden it's top of mind. In marketing, top of mind is the most important thing to drive business volume in, uh, in marketing. Okay, but you know the stock of Anheuser-Busch was down a bit, not colossal because this story hasn't broken out, it will. Um, but I think it was, it was a mistake, a marketing mistake. They don't need to do this. They can market their product based upon brand loyalty. And yes, we got you, Bud Light, you should drink it. Now, Nike is a whole different thing because that's a much younger crew. And Nike has a history with Colin Kaepernick and all of that of rebellion. They want to use rebellion in their marketing. And I guess it's worked a bit for Nike, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it has shown itself to work in the past. Uh, again, there are going to be people who are, who are angry at everything. Uh, and here, again, I think from what I've seen, this was Dylan Mulvaney talking to Dylan Mulvaney's audience, now made into a big thing. I'm sure Nike anticipated it would happen. They probably have a lot more fortitude and uh, uh, ability to weather any backlash on things like this than maybe Bud Light does. Although I think both brands end up being fine on the other side of this and maybe even benefit. All right, Michael, we appreciate it very much. Thank you. We like when we have opposing points of view, unlike most of the cable nice programs hear. now that just go, um, well, here's my view. And now I'm going to bring on somebody who has the exact same view. How boring is that? Michael was a good guest. Hey guys, it's Vivek Ramaswamy here, inviting you to listen to my podcast, Truth. We just relaunched it after the campaign, and we are already riding up the podcast charts. Here's why. I think that hard, in-depth conversations about the tough issues is the only way we're going to get this country back. Because make no mistake, we are currently in a war for the future of America, and you cannot win a war unless you're willing to speak the truth. If you want standard conservative talking points, this podcast is not for you. But if you want to go deeper and hear the conversations you're not going to find anywhere else, the conversations that will challenge you, that will challenge me, then subscribe to Truth with Vivek Ramaswamy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I promise you, you're going to cover terrain that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet.
Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the No Spin News Weekend Edition. So let's look at the data, all right? Um, 27 months Joe Biden's been in office. He has held 24 press conferences. You see it at the bottom there. Same period of time, Barack Obama, 46, Donald Trump, 51. That's a dramatic difference. And you can make the case that there's more turbulence in the Biden administration with the inflation, the border, the foreign problems, the Ukraine war. And he just will not answer questions about it. It's and I've been in this business a long time. I know what's happening. I don't have to guess or speculate. There's no other reason on this earth that Biden does not answer questions other than he cannot answer them. Mentally is not up to it. Okay, let's bring in somebody who may see it differently. Larry Cook is a presidential historian based in Dallas, Pennsylvania, author of the book Symbols of Patriotism, First Ladies and Daughters of the American Revolution. It was out um, in 2021. It's a good book. And uh, he joins us now. So I, I, I want to run. First of all, do you disagree with my assessment of President Biden? I, I really don't disagree with that, Bill. Uh, you know, I think more than what President Biden says, it's what he's not saying. And, uh, you know, whether it's because he can't or whether because he won't, it's because he won't. Uh, I see it as more than than what he's not saying, you know, more what he's not saying than what he's saying. You know, you know, if you have watched the uh, the series West Wing, you can see when when the president's out there or somebody's out there and the staff members are in the back uh, and afraid that he's going off script and they're they're cringing. I think about that every time that I see President Biden on TV at a, at a press conference or a press interview that that's happening in real time. All right. But certainly Donald Trump went off script uh, every second. His staff did cringe, as you rightly point out, but at least he answered what the day the question du jour was and Obama the same way. So now we have what would you as an American citizen put aside your historian credentials? What would you want to know from Biden? What would you ask him if you were sitting where I'm sitting? Well, I, w- I would really like to know more about the the situations at hand. You know, uh, I think that's what we're all thinking about. Uh, well, what's what do you going mean, the economy, with, uh, Ukraine, China? What what would be on the top of your list? Uh, I think I think our national security is on the top of my list anyway, and I think it is with most Americans with our our problems with China, the 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 collaboration it seems to be there with with Russia. Uh, you know. Our economy is certainly important, but if we don't have a country, uh, we don't have to worry about the economy. All so, right. you know, he's just really not saying much about any of those things. And that's what I think he, he needs to be out there saying. To go back to what you said about uh, President Trump, I think President Trump going off off uh, script is more of a strategy or definitely is a strategy where it's completely different with President Biden. OK, now, um one of the reasons that the White House staff doesn't want Biden out there is because there are so many unresolved problems. The border, violent crime, it's just every single day. And 27 months in, Joe Biden has not solved a significant problem in this country. 
Inflation's coming down a little. We'll get to that later on in the broadcast. But he really hasn't dealt with these serious situations. So you can talk a good game. He doesn't do that. But when it comes right down to it, he is not really a problem solver, in my opinion. Well, you know, in the in the presidency, the way I see it, too, um, even talking a good game is very important because everything a president says or doesn't say uh, can either calm the American public or it can uh, cause more worry in the American public. No, that's a good and, point. You know, you know, he's got a report in, um, but he doesn't. Yes. I let the electronic media, television news in particular, um, really ascended in 1960 with the Nixon-Kennedy debate. That was the line of demarcation. Before that, Eisenhower and FDR and Truman, they didn't have to deal with TV so much. It was a new thing coming in, and it wasn't a, a major factor. But 1960 on. So let's run down some presidents. Kennedy, JFK, very good with the media. Would you agree? I would agree. He had he had the charisma, which is something that's, you know, built in your personality. Plus, you know, that was a, a, a new time where he was really the first president to utilize TV. Uh, and he, you know, he was protected by the press and, and by others for, for various reasons. Yes. Uh, he didn't have any worries on that front that somebody would come after him. Lyndon Johnson, the exact opposite with the Vietnam War. And I didn't think Johnson handled uh, the television media very well. He wasn't very glib and he came across as stodgy. What did you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, in fairness to LBJ there, too, he he's, was walking in, in Kennedy's shadow and being a completely different person. I think it. I think in the very first part of his presidency, he had, you know, of course, he had the honeymoon phase that a lot of them have, and he had even more of that because of the, the tragic assassination of Kennedy. But uh, And he, he, he took on the persona of being in charge and carrying on Kennedy's uh, policies. But as things went on and things worsened with the Vietnam War, uh, it got more of a problem with the press for him. And as you mentioned, him not being very good in front of the press, uh, you know, picking up his beagles by the ears uh, wasn't really a good thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, but it, but it was it his got speaking worse. style. He, he was halting my fellow yeah. American. It wasn't like a natural. Then we go into Nixon, who had his troubles with the press because he was paranoid, primarily uh, thought they were out to get him. And he was right. Many yeah. of them were. Um, but he was never comfortable on television and uh, came across that way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the one thing that I want to add to that is that a lot of people will compare President Trump's style with the press uh, with Nixon. And I, I totally disagree with that. With Nixon, it was more of a revenge type uh, type thing. As you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, he was very suspicious and paranoid about the, the press. Uh, with where with President Trump, it's uh, unprecedented, like most things Trump are, where he's right out there with it, uh, and he uses it as a strategy, his contempt uh, for the for the press. So yeah, I think it's very a, different between Trump him and Richard Trump is a performer, Nixon. also. He's performed yeah. on television and right. now. Jimmy Carter yeah. uh, locally was good with the television media as governor of Georgia, but when he got into the White House, I never saw him as very comfortable there. Um, obviously, his administration didn't go fairly well. You know Carter. You have worked with uh, the Carter Foundation, I believe, in Plains. Uh, how do you yeah. assess him? Well, I, I think that's a fair assessment of what you what you said. I think in the beginning, 
Uh, he's, you know, he was a Washington outsider. Uh, I think in the beginning, uh, the press didn't really, uh, really know how to how to handle him. He was different than what they were they were used to. Uh, uh, he did use the press effectively to uh, convey truth, honesty uh, to the American people, and uh, to set an example you know, for the American people, like wearing a sweater and, and bringing back the fireside chats. So I think he he utilized the press effectively, at, at least in the first two years of his presidency. OK, and then we went to Ronald Reagan, a trained actor, somebody who knew how to use the media. But yeah. um, if you read my book, Killing Reagan, Reagan's staff was not comfortable letting the media at him. I mean, it all had to be controlled. And he was very rehearsed, Ronald Reagan. Delivered it great, um, but he, he wasn't, like, spontaneous. Yeah, you know, um, I agree with that to a point. I mean, I think he was a great communicator. He did use his acting skills. Uh, and he was – the one thing that he had was some of that charisma we were talking about before and his ability to, uh, you know, to make light of something or to, to – come back with a with a witty comment was was I think really a strong point for Ronald Reagan. Yeah, it was. And it was, they were genuine. He was a genuine Irish wit. And then we have Bush the Elder who was never comfortable on television um, and that hurt him a lot when he ran against Bill Clinton. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I think during his presidency, the way I see it is that uh, uh, Bush the Elder had a, a comfortable or I shouldn't say comfortable, but a respectful uh, relationship with the press. I think he had got respect from the press, and I think he gave them respect. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't contentious till the end uh, when the, most of the press wanted Clinton to win, and Clinton was very good and glib with the media, I thought. Yeah, he, he was. And again, you know, in the first part of his presidency, it was better. Uh, the second term, the scandals coming up, uh, it got a little more... Uh, contentious, I think, on both on both sides with all the scandals being involved. And that's the way it is, I think, with a lot of the presidencies, uh, that it, it may be a little better in the in the beginning than it is uh, later yeah, on. Yeah, it is a brief honeymoon. Event. Not anymore, but yeah. it used to be. Now, Bush yeah, the Younger right. was never, uh, never comfortable with the media. I interviewed him a number of times. He was good with me, um, and but he, he wasn't relaxed, I can tell you that. Clinton was much more relaxed. Trump much more relaxed, Obama much more relaxed, with me. And, and I, I'm a pretty tough guy when I go in there to, for these interviews. Um, but uh, Bush the Younger, it was never re relaxed. He wasn't dishonest. Uh, he did dodge a few times, particularly when I asked him about the media attacking him. Um, but he, I didn't get the feeling that he embraced the television media. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that assessment there. Uh, you know, a little bit like Reagan, he had the ability to to kind of, uh, you know, laugh at himself if he made a, a little gaffe or uh, giving people nicknames, that type of thing, uh, made it a little, you know, a little more personal. He came in at a time, too, when I think there was really a ramp up of, uh, of a left media bias yes. coming along. I think and that that's when we first really seeing that. 9-11 shattered everything. And then he got, yes. he got a, a honeymoon period after 9-11. But then when the Iraq war went south, he, he really took it. Um, and then Obama was very, very good with the media. I thought 
he was, uh, you know, I interviewed him three times and I covered him in New Hampshire in a primary and I watched him. And um, he was, I was going to say he's the best of all the presidents that I've covered with the media. He was very glib, but he didn't like to do it. Well, I, you know, I agree. I think he's up there as one of the best. Uh, he seemed comfortable. Uh, he, again, I keep bringing up the, the personality, uh, the charisma thing. Uh, but if you have it, it certainly, it certainly helps you out a lot. And like JFK, uh, like Clinton, uh, Obama has the charisma. He, he can get up there and, and you like listening to him. Yep. And then we have Trump, of course, who, as you rightly pointed out, used the media, still does to his benefit. And then Biden, who just is, can't handle it at all. We appreciate it, Larry. Thank you very much for helping us out today. Here's a gem from the No Spin News Vault. This tabloid story about accusations now is taken on hysteria, as we discussed yesterday. I wanted to talk to two talk radio guys who have to deal with this. And here they are, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, hosts of the Bernie and Sid Show. That makes sense. Bernard <laughs> McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, Sid. Bernie and Sid Very Show. Creative. BS. Okay, 77 WABC Radio here in New York City, weekdays 9 to noon. So what I want to ask you guys, uh, it, when you get calls on this subject, and this is just talk radio heaven, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it, oh, it is, you it, can do it. It's, it's crack. Talk radio, it's crack, it's crack, crack for talk radio. Right. Yes. right. The, you know, people, they want to vent, they want to talk about, yes. but they don't really know anything as far as if a person like John Conyers says, hey, I didn't do it. They don't know whether John Conyers did it or not. No. Right. Okay. No. So when you're fielding calls, Sid, what tone are you starting to hear time after time? It's a political thing, right? So if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, it doesn't matter what you know or don't know about John Conyers, he's a bad guy. Same thing with Al Franken. On the other side, Roy Moore, he's the bad guy. So without any information, even without a dialogue from me and Bernie, the callers call up, they're on a certain political side, and the guy on the other side, guilty. he's toast. Guilty. Guilty. Right. Guilty. Right. Done. And by the way, I'm no different. I'm the same exact thing. <laughs> well, you do. That's, that's my point of view. Don't yeah. you feel badly? No, I, do. I try to be impartial sometimes. But you, you don't know. have to be impartial, though. You, <clears throat> this is what I do on these things, all right? I take it as far as the facts. Yes. I said, I said uh, this morning on a, a Washington, D.C. radio station, I would not vote for Roy Moore. Right. I wouldn't vote for him. Right. All right? Now, I don't know what Roy Moore did or did not do. I'm looking at the overall presentation of Judge Moore. Exactly. And, and to me, if I lived in Alabama, it's not good enough. But in my, this is my opinion, and this is where maybe I'm rationalizing a little because I take that side. It was a media hit job, a Washington Post hit job, and the voters are reacting to that, a backlash to that. In other words, had, no they, doubt about had it. they released this information before the primary, the, the voters could have made an intelligent choice. They would have had Luther Strange, and they know that. Instead, they were manipulated, and they're going to have a Democrat, perhaps, because of the Washington Post. And they're saying, we're not going to have that. But the polls now say that Moore is ahead by five right. points. Yeah. Right. But I think there's a bigger issue here. If the Washington Post had a more stable reputation as being fair, right. had it been a Wall yeah. Street Journal that broke this story, for example, the voters may be a little bit more Maybe. inclined. You're right. The Washington Post and the New York Times both have a bad reputation. I'll tell you the one guy, Bill, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, 
They were doing the Macarena on the streets. We were. We were doing the worm, naked oh, on the floor yeah. in the studio. Right. Matt Lauer. Why? We had Republicans and right, Democrats. Right, right, right. Okay. So why the disdain for Mr. Lauer? Why? Because we're bad guys. We're me, me. <laughs> no, 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 tell me. No, tell no. Seriously, look, he's, uh, he's, he's uh, uh, one of these liberal icons who's uh, morally superior. He's a moral conscience. He's, he's a champion of women's rights, all this nonsense that he puts forth. He looks down his nose at people, and he, he's very so your judgmental. your perception of him is he's a hypocrite. He's judgmental, oh, biggest, yes. And that's why, that's exactly why we're like, you know. Yeah. You know the callers, though, in New York City, you don't do, you, you know, WABC isn't known for to be a right-wing or left-wing station. No, I would say that it, it is, and it's mostly right-wing. It leans right. Yes. It does? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, you have Savage in the afternoon. Right. I miss, I miss a bash anybody right, in the I morning, right? Yes. And you guys are all over the place. That's right. So the, the conservative callers, they don't like Lauer because they perceive him to be a champion of the liberal cause. That's right. right exactly. But let me point this out. Hillary Clinton's people hate Lauer, hate yeah, him, but, 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 and celebrated his demise. Hillary Clinton's people, because she, um, they thought, gave Trump a pass and was too tough on Hillary. But the bigger picture is these people were the ones who, were, when it was the Clintons, they dismissed, for example, uh, NBC well, they were the same people who sat on the Juanita Broderick interview back in Way 19... Back. Absolutely. And, and during right. the impeachment Absolutely. hearings. And they remember that sort of stuff. The, the and Ronald so Farrell stuff, right? All this stuff about Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. NBC had NBC that. NBC is, is now in, in the eye of the storm. That's right. Not just Lauer, the whole structure. Uh, I would go from Andy okay. Lack to Phil Grippen. These are executives uh, at NBC. Right. The overall, though, is that we're living in a, in a country where you can be convicted by a headline. That's, that's right. That's okay. You guys both understand. That and and by the way, and so, our monologue, if we come on in the afternoon or yeah. morning and we lean one way or the other because our fans tend to like us, we change minds. We may very well take a guy who thinks that uh, this guy's not a bad guy and by 930, he's a horrible guy. Well, that's good. At least people are listening with an open mind. Right. Yeah. Because people have to understand now that what the press is doing is whipping this into a frenzy. All right. And there's really nobody safe. There really isn't any. And next year, when you, in the, in the uh, congressional races and everything like that, as I just said with Donald Trump, he, he better get ready. All right, yeah. they're coming for him. But in the congressional races next year, the Senate and the House, this stuff's going to be every week, every day. He did this. He did that. This candidate did this. This candidate did that. You wait and see. It's morphing. This is the big gun. Now. Yeah, it's a witch hunt. You're right about that. And yes, Trump will be in the crosshairs as well. But then again, he always has been. From the, for, I mean, but it's going to get since you, he won the nomination. This, this is going to be epic, as Every, the kids say. Okay, but the question then becomes, Bill, if everybody else kind of begs out, Conyers, you say, is going to be done. Franken is going to be done. Everybody gets done. Trump's not going to be done. So when all this comes flying at him. What does it really mean? He's not going to be it done. It depends how Trump himself handles it, all right? Because you say that he's not going to be done, but in the court of public opinion, he's got the press lined up against him. He re it's 80-20. He does, but the people see through it now. I think I, I think believe they right. do. I think that there's, it's going to be like Roy Moore. I'm going to predict soon that I think Moore is going to win yeah, in Alabama. Probably. I think he's going to win. And then if the Senate removes him... The uh, Alabama governor gets to a point, gets to a point a of Republican, guy. so Trump wins a on better that. Guy. The strategy right, right. And, and Trump knows that. All right, Bernie and Sid, 77 WABC Radio. It's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. We hope you guys will come back, and we really appreciate you coming. Oh, us out. Now, we're going to take a commercial, uh, 30 seconds only. 
because these guys have to be wheeled out. They're, <laughs> old, they're older than they look. They're little chairs over there. We got to get them out. All right? Roll that tape. Thank you for listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. To watch the full episodes of the No Spin News, visit BillOReilly.com and sign up to become a premium or concierge member. That's BillOReilly.com. Sign